Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. Today, I wanted to talk about a pop culture issue that, in fact, uh, seems kind of not pop culture at all, at least in its start, which is the novel 1984 by George Orwell. Now, of course, 1984 ends up being published somewhere around 1949, and so the immediate question becomes, how is this relevant to today? Well, interestingly enough, the book has had a sudden upsurge in sales. Uh, it's become a, 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 a mega seller again in a certain sense, and people are suddenly interested in the text again. And so one wonders, one wonders well, what is, what is the relevance here? And of course, the novel, if anything, arguably would be considered a huge failure, right? So Orwell's novel is about the year 1984, or somewhere around then, and it's supposed to be predictive. It's this dystopian view of a future gone, gone horribly awry. But of course, we are well past 1984. So Orwell seems to have obviously missed the mark and things are not that bad. The future that he predicts is one in which there's this mega nation, Oceana, that is really heavily oppressing their people. And most famously, this idea of Big Brother is... Um, in control, this kind of amorphous uh, character who's kind of in charge of everything, and there's posters everywhere that say, you know, Big Brother is watching you, and the people are constantly being watched, and they're constantly being listened to, and they never know for sure if their conversation is in fact being uh, uh, listened to at that particular moment. <clears throat> they are watched in their homes, or at the very least, they can be watched in their homes. They uh, There is a whole series of requirements that they have to engage in. Uh, they have to go to particular kinds of films and they have to partic participate in things called the two-minute hate, where they go and they yell and at, at videos that are, that, are, that are propaganda. And so the, their, their ability to eat and their ability to express themselves and even their ability to have relationships and love relationships, which is what the text revolves around, is <clears throat> greatly curtailed by the government and everything is about their lives is control. And so the the novel has had this sudden uptick in interest and in large part because of the way that the novel reflects on Soviet events that are happening at the time of the writing of the novel and what's going on in the USSR that have to do with rewriting of history. Orwell was very concerned with the way that um, the USSR would just kind of change events in, in newspapers, or they would just kind of erase people from photos. And he thought that if that kind of behavior continued over the course of many years, what you would end up with by 1984 is a world in which people can just kind of change history as, as they see fit. and. Um, no one really gets the reality of it. And so in a world right now of alternative facts and whatever the heck that means, which is a whole nother conversation that I would love to have, though I have to admit it's so amorphous and confusing, I'm not even sure where to begin. Um, it's suddenly of interest to you and to us and, and to, our, to our society at large. And so people have been buying the book and, 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 or at the very least talking about it. And so what I thought was of interest, though, is, is there's there's at least one other way in which this novel is very kind of scarily appropriate to things that are happening in pop culture. In other words, maybe Orwell predicted a couple of other things other than 
the way we would engage with the media and the way governments might kind of play with facts or truth or something along those lines of the way media might play with facts or truth, uh, that's kind of scary. And so, if I may, uh, I want to bring your attention to some recent articles that have come out. Uh, so one article from the New York Post from February 11th says the following, uh, when former President Barack Obama said that he was heartened by anti-Trump protests, he was sending a message to his troops. Troops? Yes. Obama has an army of agitators, numbering more than 30,000, who will fight his Republican successor at every turn of his historic presidency, and Obama will command them from a bunker less than two miles from the White House. And so this article is also echoed by uh, people like Rush Limbaugh and Breitbart News, which are arguing that in fact, Barack Obama has a shadow government that he's helping establish to do everything they can to stop uh, Donald Trump. Um, in what's shaping up to be a highly unusual post-presidency, Obama isn't just staying behind in Washington. He's working behind the scenes to set up what will effectively be a shadow government to not only protect his threatened legacy, but to sabotage the incoming administration and its popular America First agenda. So this is a fascinating accusation, especially given that we've gotten reports and pictures, right, of Barack Obama you know, out having vacations on the beach and, you know, just having a grand old time, kind of enjoying his, his va vacation. And the last time I checked, you know, he's coming back now and he's, he's got a book deal and so on and so forth, but somehow managing to get his tan while also prepping this shadow government is quite, quite a feat. So the, the connection that I thought was particularly of interest was a quotation from the text 1984 which goes as follows. Um, they're there at this thing called a two-minute hate, and the people are required to go to this, and they show video of um, the, the things that they really want the people to get really angry about and show their venom towards, and everyone kind of yells and screams and so on and so forth. And these videos always include, they're not always the same video, but they always include something about Emmanuel Goldstein. And it's described as the fall in the following way by the protagonist of the novel, Winston. Um, as usual, the face of Emmanuel Goldstein, the enemy of the people, had flashed onto the screen. There were hisses here and there among the audience. The little sandy-haired woman gave a squeak of mingled fear and disgust. Goldstein was the renegade and backslider who once, long ago, how long ago, nobody quite remembered, had been one of the leading figures of the party, almost on level with Big Brother himself and then had engaged in counter-revolutionary activities, had been condemned to death, and had mysteriously escaped and disappeared. The programs of the two-minute hate varied from day to day, but there was none in which Goldstein was not the principal figure. He was the primal traitor, the earliest defiler of the party's purity. All subsequent crimes against the party, all treacheries, acts of sabotage, heresies, deviations, sprang directly out of his teaching. Somewhere or other, he was still alive and hatching his conspiracies. Perhaps somewhere beyond the sea, under the protection of his foreign paymasters, perhaps even, so it was occasionally rumored, in some hiding place in Oceania itself. And in reading that, I couldn't help but think about these articles that I had read from, um, the, you know, the New York Post, and uh, what Rush Limbaugh is saying that 
I'm really being encouraged to be in a great deal of fear that somewhere, somewhere in Washington, in fact, former President Barack Obama is spinning a master web and getting getting all of these paid pro protesters together because it can never be like real real protesters or at least not that many and, and not not that well kind of organized on their own that he must be kind of back there and and it's especially helpful if it's a face of someone that too many um on at least on one particular side of the aisle is kind of reviled right if you really wanted to to, to hate something you call it obamacare and for many people, uh, Mr. Obama's name was just something that they just were so upset about that to it, to call it Obamacare was to make it so that many people, in fact, would say that they hated Obamacare but liked the Affordable Care Act, which ended up being the same thing. So you have the shadowy figure in the background that people now can be terrified of and hate. And which especially kind of terrifying is the realize, re realization that, well, <laughs> at least in principle, it's possible, right? Is, you know, as, as a philosopher, I don't want to just sit there and say, well, that's just completely ridiculous. That's not possible. I suppose it, it could be, I mean, right? I mean, lots, lots and lots of things are in fact possible. And it, it would be impressive, I mean, given the vacation time that he took, so on and so forth. But but it, that could have entirely been faked too. I mean, what do we really know? And then the problem is, is, you realize you start kind of spinning down this this rabbit hole of conspiracy theory and especially worrisome is another article that i had saved from a little while back um so the uh, uh world net daily reported polling expert kathy frankovic um did some polls about people in conspiracy theories and basically just asked people which comp conspiracy theories they happen to believe and if they were uh, Hillary Clinton voters or Donald Trump voters, and significantly, we're talking, uh, you know, eight, in many cases, 80s percentiles. Um, uh, Donald Trump supporters believe things like millions of illegal votes were cast in the election, while uh, uh, Hillary Clinton supporters believed that Russia tamper, tampered with vote tallies to help Donald Trump. So in other words, conspiracy theory belief seems to now also go straight down party lines for the most part. And so the problem, of course, with conspiracy theories and, and, and a conspiracy theory like whether or not uh, Mr. Obama has uh, some sort of shadow government is the realization that you can't disprove them. How does one actually prove that it isn't the case, right? So we now have to worry about the fact that it's kind of like the uh, argument regarding the existence of God, right? In other words, someone can simply say, well, prove that God doesn't exist. Well, kind of by definition, you can't. So does that mean that, in fact, we have evidence that God exists? Well, I can't prove, I mean, no one can prove that Barack Obama doesn't have a shadow of government. And so does that then act as evidence that uh, the shadow government does in fact exist and so and we, and we can we can do this on you know whatever side of the aisle you happen to be on right some sort of our you know uh, there, there there's this worry that there are certain kinds of things that if you state them in a particular way you put your the person with whom you're talking in a position of where they can't they can't prove it so or they can't disprove it so does that mean that it, 
in fact, it, there actually is evidence that it is true. And given the fact that we have this tendency towards conspiracy theories that line up with our own political belief sets, what we realize is now we have a major worry about confirmation bias. That we're only looking at or clicking on the articles that in fact are the conspiracy theories that align with our belief sets. So um, if we're uh, conservative leaning, we're clicking on the ones about Obama's shadow government. And if we are liberal leaning, we might be clicking on the ones that say that uh, Donald Trump is in fact a, a, a Russian spy or something like that. And so, and the people who say, well, that's, I mean, that's extreme, that's too much. Well, we can say to them, well, can you prove that Mr. Trump isn't a Russian spy? And, and of course we're put in the position of saying, well, I, I can't prove that he isn't. It just seems like it, it kind of goes goes so far beyond. And, and, and if we're really honest with ourselves, here's the fact that the matter is, is conspiracy theories are really, really, really uh, interesting and fun. I mean, they're way more, way more interesting than finding out like Barack Obama is on vacation and way more interesting than, you know, you know Donald Trump, uh, you know, is largely just interested in improving business relationships with Russia. Like it's way more interesting that he might actually be you know, some sort of secret KGB agent. That's that that would make a good movie. Whereas you know Barack Obama on vacation would not make a particularly fun movie. And so the the realization becomes that we are kind of easily manipulated by conspiracy theory because of our bias towards our own leanings and. So we at least say to ourselves, well, hopefully the people in charge are not going to take advantage of this, right? That the one thing that Orwell gets wrong is the fact that, you know, our government isn't that government. Our government isn't that kind of controlling evil government, right? In other words, I don't need to worry about that conspiracy theory. Um, but then in researching what I was going to talk about today, I came across uh, the, the following. Um, Mr. Trump was recently on uh, Fox News and Brian Kilmeade asked him, it turns out his organization, this is speaking of Barack Obama, uh, seems to be doing a lot of the organizing for some of the protests that are that a lot of these Republicans are seeing around the country and against you. Do you believe President Obama is behind it? And if he is, is that a violation of the so-called unsaid president's code? And then Mr. Trump replies, I think that President Obama is behind it because his people are certainly behind it. And so now we have verification from our top leader in the country that there is something in cities going on and that this um, basically Emmanuel Goldstein character is somewhere, somewhere doing something insidious. And of course the danger there is, and this would be dangerous if any politician did is that it directs us and our view towards something that none of us can actually disprove and something that's kind of always out out there in some way and that's where our worry is that over and over and over again we see politicians and this is not just president trump we see politicians kind of direct us ah but don't you really want to be worried about that right and they'll point to someone someone that we can't really get our hands on and someone that's not really accountable to us in the same way. At the end of the day, Barack Obama does not have to answer to us anymore, nor does uh, Vladimir Putin. He never had to answer to us. And so if you can kind of point your finger at some shadowy, terrifying figure over there that people don't really have control over, 
it distracts us from looking at the person we really do have some say over. At the end of the day, we do have a lot of say over uh, President Trump insofar as he's an elected official and he has another election coming up in four years. And so does Congress. And uh, so if any, any of these politicians, you know, from, from Mr. Trump to Nancy Pelosi, notice that they, they, if you listen to them speak, they will with some regularity point us towards someone else that we should be worried about. And that's, that's not to say that, uh, um, you know, Democrats do not do this as well, because of, of course they do. But one thing is, it seems relatively sure now, we are living in a mildly, <laughs> very little, let's, let's not panic entirely, Orwellian world, in which we are being told by some of the most powerful people in the country, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Democrats in Congress, that we need to panic, um, that there's something that we all need to be really worried about, and that something insidious is going on, whether it's Mr. Trump telling us that Barack Obama has his uh, something going on, or uh, it, uh, congressional Democrats telling us, don't you think that uh, President Trump has something shadowy going on with Russia? And either one, in fact, could actually be true. And we don't know. And we're just left there having to worry and to panic and probably picking the one to believe that lines up already with our previous political beliefs. And the important thing, of course, that Orwell was pointing out is, is at the end of the day, this was always just playing the public. That during these two-minute hates that the people who were really being played were us. And so maybe Mr. Orwell didn't get his predictions entirely wrong. So I would love to hear your thoughts and disagreements, and I hope you have a wonderful week.